Greetings. My apologies up front for the poor audio quality. I have only my iPhone and AirPods for this episode. Hi, my name is Pete Redden, and welcome to The Way I Taught It, Next Level Aviation Knowledge and Microbursts. This episode brought to you by Vapor Global Aviation, creating tomorrow's pilots today. Look them up on Facebook and LinkedIn, Vapor Global Aviation. Greetings from the sunny and warm state of Arizona, the Grand Canyon State. I'm on the road working, and I have an unanticipated day off. Therefore, I present Episode 11, Bubble Hopping. As always, I am not producing this podcast for any other reason than to encourage people to dive into the FAA source document references and see for themselves how the Airman Certification Standards and FAA source documents work together to successfully pass a practical exam. Today's topic falls into the area of glide distance considerations during airplane single-engine land operations. It could easily be manipulated to multi-engine operations when operating on a single engine after an engine failure. So here's your scenario. You're planning a cross-country flight from A to B. You're trying to decide your best route of flight. And like most, you draw a single straight line between two points. Numbers are calculated. Boxes are filled on the flight log. And enough fuel is placed in the tanks to make the trip. Most likely, you have selected an altitude well below the maximum for the aircraft. And off you go. Then the unthinkable happens. An engine failure. In your planning, did you consider this or any other engine-related event occurring? Did you know that the private instrument and commercial airman certification standards under cross-country flight planning task includes proper altitude selection based on glide distance of the aircraft? So now let's go off script and start talking about some of these things. So first off, what is glide distance? Glide distance is the distance the aircraft can glide in a specific configuration from a specific altitude above ground level. So remember, if you're flying at 6,000 feet, the ground level's at 2,000 feet elevation. You only have 4,000 feet of altitude to use for your glide. It's basically L over D max if you want to get into aerodynamics, but it is a speed that is going to get you the most distance over the ground for the most altitude that you have, or for the given altitude you have. So in a Piper Archer, 76 knots is the best glide speed or thereabouts. So when my engine fails and I begin to trim for 76 knots, pitch for 76 knots, and fly the airplane, I get about 1.8, 1.9 nautical miles per thousand feet of altitude. So in that earlier scenario where I'm 4,000 feet above the ground, if we use easy math, so about two nautical miles per thousand, I can glide eight nautical miles in that Piper Archer or just slightly less than that. It's about 7.6 nautical miles. So glide distance is the distance you can go with the engine failed at your glide speed, and that is calculated nautical miles versus thousands of feet above the ground. So let's get into the calculation part of this, because nautical miles across the ground and thousands of feet in the air are apples and oranges. As pilots, we always find ratios that are apples to oranges to help us execute our flights in the aircraft. We're always looking for how does this apply to me? So in some aircraft, um, I think if you go look in the Diamond 20 AFM, it'll show that the glide distance is something like 1 to 11 or 1 to 12. So for every foot of altitude you have, you will glide 11 or 12 feet forward. So every 1,000 feet of altitude you have, 
you'll glide 11,000 feet or 12,000 feet forward across the ground. So in our case, in a pilot's case, that ratio doesn't help us. So we have to convert not the altitude because we measure altitude in thousands of feet. We have to cons we have to convert the distance. So rule of thumb, there's about 6,000 feet per nautical mile. So if your AFM or POH is giving you that kind of a ratio, expand it out to how many how many feet along the ground am I going to go for a given thousand feet of altitude above the ground? Take that number, convert it or divide it by 6,000, and then you get your nautical miles per thousand feet of altitude above the ground. Now, in some POHs, they don't give you that ratio. They actually give you a glide chart. So in a glide chart, what I normally do is if I open up a POH to a new airplane and it has a glide chart, I go to 10,000 feet above the ground. I go over to the line and then I come down to the distance uh, below. And usually those charts are thousands of feet and nautical miles. So thousands of feet along the left side, nautical miles uh, across the bottom. So 10,000 feet go over to the line, drop straight down. And in the case of a Piper Archer, it comes out to about 1.8, 1.9 nautical mile, or sorry, it comes out to about 18, 19 nautical miles. So now you can divide by 10, and that gives you your 1.8, 1.9 nautical miles per thousand feet of altitude above the ground. That's how you can calculate it. So now we have to discuss how does wind affect glide distance? If I have a headwind, I'm going to glide a shorter distance. If I have a tailwind, I'm going to glide a longer distance. Pretty simple, right? The interesting fact is that no matter whether I have a headwind, a tailwind, or no wind, my time aloft is not going to change. I still have the same amount of minutes from whatever altitude my engine fails to the ground level to get what I need to get done. So the time doesn't change, but the distance does change. Today, we're going to talk about no wind scenarios. And then as you understand the scenarios, you can then start applying wind and understand how that's going to change. So how do we use glide distance during flight planning? Well, I use a general rule of thumb that for every 50 miles, so if I'm going to go 50 nautical miles, I'm going to fly at 5,000 feet. I just call it a, a, the rule of 100. So I multiply 50 by 100 and I get 5,000. So if I'm going to fly 50 nautical miles, I'm going to fly about 5,000 feet altitude. And that is altitude above the ground. And that's just a starting point. And that's just my starting point. That's just my personal technique. If I'm 5,000 feet above the ground and I'm flying a Piper Archer and I lose my engine and I can't get it restarted, I already know that I have about 10 nautical miles of glide, about really 9.5 uh, nautical miles of glide. So then what I do is I look at my line that I drew and I look at 9.5 nautical miles either side of that line. And I look at that for the entire trip. And I look at that and I go, okay, if I lose my engine at any point along here, what are my options to land at an airport? Or maybe there's a drag strip or maybe there's a really long road that I can zoom in on a satellite photo and say, yeah, that's an option to land on. So as you're doing your flight planning, think about glide distance and think about how it affects you. So that's just kind of the basic, you know, am I going to turn around and fly back to an airport behind me or am I going to continue forward to an airport in front of me? So I have about 9.5 nautical miles of glide distance. Now, if you take, uh, if you use ForeFlight, 
and that's just what I personally choose to use. If you use four flight, you can actually go in there and you can put your glide ratio in and it will actually create a circle around your aircraft. And as you fly, that circle will expand and contract based on elevations, based on mountains, based on obstructions. Um, and it's a really cool feature. And it's part of this thing that I call bubble theory. We'll get into that or bubble theory, bubble hopping. We'll get into that in just a little bit. But you can program your four flight for that. And it also takes wind into account, which is really cool. So now you have this bubble, this circle around your aircraft, and you know that if there's an airport inside of that circle, you can glide to it. But let's not wait till we're in execution to figure out whether we can glide to an airport or not. Let's figure out on the ground. So now we know how to use it during flight planning. So now we can think about adjusting our ground track to accommodate glide distance. So instead of having that straight 50 nautical mile line, now as I go through and I look at my 9.5 nautical miles of glide either side of that line, well, let's say there's an airport that's at 11 miles from the center line. Well, why not adjust that line to the right or to the left to bring that airport into glide distance during our cross country? It might cost you a couple of minutes. It might cost you a couple of tenths of gallons of fuel. But now you know if that engine fails, you can glide to that airport if required. I once read a statistic, and I wish I could find the reference for it, but it says on average, in the United States of America, there's an airport, some kind of an airport, about every 20 nautical miles. That's a crazy statistic to think about, but if I fly my Piper Archer at 10,000 feet, I should always be in glide distance of an airport on average. That's just something to think about there. Now that we are accommodating our ground track to bring airports into glide distance, we can now talk about bubble theory or bubble hopping. So basically what you do is you draw your line, you find the nearest airports that are along your line, left or right of center line. And what you can do is if you're deciding that you're going to fly at 5,000 feet AGL and you have about 9.5 nautical miles of glide, you can draw circles around those nearest airports that are 9.5 nautical miles circles. And now what you can do is try and make them overlap if you can uh, if you can't, maybe select a higher altitude so that they begin to overlap. And the key here is you never want to be outside of a bubble or you don't want to be outside of a bubble for very long. If you raise your altitude or adjust your ground track so that you're always inside of a bubble, you know that you will always have an airport option either in front of you, behind you, to your left or to your right, whether you have an engine failure or a partial engine failure. So now let's talk about the partial engine failure because the engine failure is really easy. The decision is made for you. You lose an engine. If you're inside of a bubble, a glide bubble to an airport, you turn towards that airport immediately and you start gliding towards it. But let's say it's a partial engine failure. Let's say you're flying along at 5,000 feet AGL and your engine all of a sudden comes down to 2,000 RPM and you're at max power. You got the, the throttle firewalled. And you're only generating about 2,000 RPM. You're only generating about 80% of normal power or normal RPMs. So there's obviously something wrong with the engine. But you're inside of a bubble that may go to a 2,000-foot strip. And it's out in the middle of nowhere. You're not really sure, is there a crash fire rescue? Is there somebody there that's going to pull your carcass out of the airplane if things go really bad? Is there cell phone coverage? Are you going to be able to call somebody? So that 2,000-foot strip is kind of out in the middle of nowhere, but it's in your bubble. 
So of course, you're probably going to turn towards it immediately because that's your nearest airport and that's the right thing to do. But then you realize, hey, I have partial power. I've run through all my checklists and I realize that my engine is not necessarily going to quit. It's just not going to produce maximum power for me. So now you start thinking, is the 2000 foot strip really the best option when we start talking risk management and you start looking at your other bubbles and you realize that you can remain within the bubble within glide distance of the 2000 foot strip while you transit into another bubble for maybe a 6000 foot strip at an airport that has a control tower that has crash fire rescue that has maintenance that has rented cars that has hotels. So now you start thinking a little bit more outside the box or outside the bubble, and you can turn towards that airport while remaining within the bubble for that 2000 foot strip. And once you transition into the bubble for that other airport with the control tower, with crash fire rescue, with the rent of cars, with maintenance capability and all that stuff, now you know that if your engine fails during that scenario, you can either turn back to the 2000 foot strip, or once you transition, you just go for the 6000 foot strip with the control tower, the crash fire rescue, the maintenance capability, the rental cars, the hotels. That's kind of what bubble theory is or bubble hopping is. The most important piece of this, if you're going to apply it to your flight planning, is to try and never be outside of a bubble, or if you're outside of a bubble, that your aircraft is operating at 100%. Because once your aircraft is not operating at 100%, percent specifically your engine and you're in a bubble you never leave a bubble to transition non-bubble airspace if you will into another bubble what you do is you go for that airport that isn't with gliding distance so if the bubbles don't overlap then you need to go for that 2000 foot strip if that's the only bubble that you're in there are a couple things at 2000 rpm in most general aviation aircraft you could probably set best glide at 2000 rpm so in a and a Piper Archer 76 knots at 2000 RPM, and you will probably gain some altitude over time, which means you're expanding the bubble. So you could use that to expand the bubble from your 2000 foot strip into the bubble for the 6000 foot strip. All I'm saying is when you're looking at planning your flight, build those bubbles around your emergency airfields. Look for those emergency airfields. Look left and right of center line by your glide distance to get situational awareness of where you can go in an emergency. And then as you build your situational awareness, understand what your options are. And if your engine fails and you're in a bubble, never leave that bubble. Go for whatever airport that, that's in that bubble. If your engine has partial power and you can maintain altitude, now that gives you a couple of options to transit bubbles or climb to expand the bubbles to transit them as long as those bubbles are connecting or overlapping along your flight. So I hope that helps you understand how to make your flight planning more purposeful with respect specifically to engine failures or partial power situations with your engine. I hope drives you to think about bubble hopping in the future, or at least understanding glide distance and taking it into account in the future flight planning sessions. I love your feedback. Uh, please provide it on whatever platform that you're listening on. Uh, I'd like to hear what you have to say. I'd like to hear what you have to say about uh, the content. And uh, if there are any topics that you'd like me to look into, uh, into discussing, please put that in the comments section. Please put that in the feedback section. 
and I will look at those comments and I will uh, take those topics and see if I can uh, build a podcast around them. Again, I'm Pete Redden, and that's another episode of The Way I Taught It. Thank you for finding this podcast worthy of inclusion in your study of aviation. Until next time, fly safe and fly smart. That's the way I taught it.